Thank you. Please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we come before you today because of that gentle healer who came to earth to offer us life, to heal us from our brokenness, our woundedness, our sinfulness. To give us forgiveness, to give us life, life abundant, life eternal. We take that and receive it by faith because we believe that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to pay for our sins. And his resurrection proved his victory over sin and over death. And it's based on that fact of what Jesus did that we put our trust in Him. And it's because of that we have a relationship with You, a relationship in which we can come before You in prayer and lay our requests at Your feet. This morning we request that You by Your Holy Spirit will move in our midst and take this truth from Your Word Bring encouragement, help to us in our journey toward home. That we would live out our faith authentically before a watching world. That we might show them the truth. That we're all sinners. And we all fall short of God's perfect standard. But The difference between an unbeliever and a believer is simply this, that one is saved and one is not. One is living with hope for eternity and the other is not. God, that we might point people to Jesus, our living hope. And it's in His name that we ask these things. Amen. When we possess something of great value, we generally look to safeguard that thing of value. Through a series of errors, a South African woman failed to properly care for a collection of gold coins she had inherited from her mother. The valuable coins were somehow mixed together with the rest of her change. And while on a shopping trip near Cape Town, she parked her car and used a Kruger Sovereign to feed the parking meter. The gold coin minted in 1890 is said to be worth a small fortune. Despite its value, the coin did not give her any extra parking time. When we mistakenly view life under the sun as if this is all there is, 
And we will foolishly exchange the priceless for the common and trade the eternal for the temporary. In our text this morning here in Ecclesiastes 10, Solomon is making the point that just a little bit of foolishness can potentially change our lives and not for the good. I was reading the other day about a man back in 2020 who was in a checkout line at a local market when he decided to show off his Glock 9mm pistol to a friend. As he tried to tuck the gun back into his pants, he mistakenly pulled the trigger and shot himself in the groin. Fortunately, he barely missed his femoral artery, which likely would have killed him. However, the wound required a hospital, a helicopter transport to a hospital in Portland over 100 miles away. Police say that he might face criminal charges in connection to the shooting because he didn't have a concealed carry license for his handgun. Just a little bit of foolishness can potentially ruin our lives. What do we mean by foolishness? Well, in the scripture that we're looking at this morning, in Ecclesiastes 10, the word that's used here, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, is a verb which usually expresses a lack in a moral or spiritual sense. Not just normal stupidity, but foolishness in regard to moral or spiritual things. It goes on to say, Thus Saul acted as a fool when he usurped the Levitical prerogative in offering sacrifices. There is more involved than simply being an intellectual fool. Saul displayed his utter lack of spiritual understanding. It goes on to say, The verb is most like, uh, mostly used in contexts where a man acts out of fear and thus behaves rashly rather than acting wisely out of a confidence in God. Thus David recognizes that he acted foolishly in taking the census of Israel in order to determine his military strength. It was a foolish act because he sought his security apart from God. This practical atheism, the Babylonians used to call living in reminiscu, i.e., living by oneself or one's own resources without depending upon God, which is the essence of sin. Living as if there is no God, living as if God has nothing to do with what's going on in my life, he says, is the essence of sin. The article that they write here goes on to say, Wisdom is the way of the moral and spiritual man or woman, while folly is the way of a person with twisted values. And I would suggest to you that as we live our lives thinking and living as if this stuff that we experience under the sun is all there is, that this is what makes up life and this is how we are to make sense of things, will lead us to foolishness. Because it will affect our value system. It will affect the way that we place uh, value on things. And it will cause us to, in a sense, 
devalue the things which are really important and place greater value in the things which are not. And again, Solomon makes the case in our text, which I'm going to read in a moment, that just a little bit of foolishness, or as the Irish say, a wee bit of foolishness, can destroy things, can ruin certain areas in our life. And he talks about three particular areas of our life in which a little foolishness has a weighty outcome. Let me go ahead and read chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but a foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an arrow which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before the being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. <clears throat> through indolence the rafters sag and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. <clears throat> so there are three areas in which Solomon in this text is helping us see that just a little bit of foolishness can ruin or can spoil <clears throat> these things. The first is that a little bit of foolishness can spoil sound wisdom. <clears throat> Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. From what I understand, the perfumer's oil <clears throat> was a delicate oil. It was a, an expensive oil, but one that was easily spoiled if something rancid got into it, like dead flies. Whereas normal, average, ordinary oil was not as easily spoiled. 
And I think the point he's making here is that when you, when you think in terms of that and our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives are um, easily ruined by a little bit of foolishness. Our character is, um, is diminished, if you will, or our testimony for Christ can be uh, spoiled in some way by a little bit of foolishness that is moral or in a moral and spiritual sense. We see in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And James tells us in James 3, 5, that a forest is set on fire by a very small spark. So a little bit of foolishness can spoil sound wisdom in our lives. And there are three areas that I think we, he kind of alludes to in, this, in these verses that I have outlined there, 1 through 3 and 12 through 15 and then verse 20, where we see uh, the importance of certain things. The first is that our character matters. Our character matters. Verse 2, a wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him to the left. What is in the heart will direct the life. What is in our heart is our character. Right? Jesus said when he was questioned by the, by the Pharisees uh, about the fact that he and his disciples were eating without having ceremonially clean, cleansed their hands first, they were saying, well, then you, what you're putting into your body is, is um, unclean. And Jesus says this, do you not understand, in Matthew 15, that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's just a cleaned up way of saying everything you eat comes out the other end. Right? And, and so he says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. So what's in our heart is going to come out of our life. And that's why Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Because what goes into our heart forms our character. And that character will come out in our life. And we play around with foolishness. Spiritually speaking, we are impacting our character. Character matters. The right and left throughout Scripture has significance. In the languages of the Scripture, the right hand suggests what is honorable, mighty, associated with an oath, even with God and His work, so that, as other languages, the right hand becomes synonymous with that which is right, good, and honorable. And of necessity, the left hand becomes associated with that which is evil, perverse, sinister, morally re repellent. And so when Jesus left this earth after His resurrection, He ascended to heaven, He ascended at what hand of God? The right hand of God. Because that's an image of that which is right and good as opposed to the left, which is a symbol of dishonor 
that which is evil and wrong. Repugnant. I'm not going to get political. Um, the wise man's heart directs him to the right. The foolish man's heart directs him to the left. Our character, our character matters. Secondly, our conduct matters. Verse 3. Even when the fool, <laughs> walking down the road, just kind of doing life, demonstrates everyone around him that he is a fool. Why? How? Because our conduct matters. What we do matters and it displays something. Our actions reveal our character, right? Just as Jesus said, out of the mouth, or out of, from the heart come all these things. And so what's in the heart is going to come out in our conduct. But it's also true that the choices we make impact our character. Because when we make choi bad choices and those choices become habits, those habits form our character. So our conduct matters. How we walk through life matters. The choices and decisions we make matter. Thirdly, our communication matters. Our words, our speech. Verses 12 through 15 talks about the contrast between the words of the wise and the lips of the fool. Verse 12, the words from the mouth of the wise men are gracious. They are gracious, grace-filled. They give life. This should be our language. Right? Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, that you may know how to respond to each person. Let the words of your mouth be filled with grace. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Communication matters. The wise man's words are gracious while the lips of the fool consume him. The fool speaks and what comes out is detrimental to his life. The beginning of his talking, verse 13, is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. From beginning to end, whatever comes out of his mouth, it ain't good. And yet... Verse 14, he continues to talk. The fool multiplies words, just keeps on spewing out stuff. And I think the next phrase speaks about the fact that he just keeps talking but doesn't know what he's talking about. Because he says, no man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. But the person who is foolish will just keep on talking, thinking he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't know anything. But he just keeps on talking. We would do well to learn the proverb in Proverbs eleven nineteen, as I've said this many times. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. 
Communication matters. How we communicate reveals a wise heart or a foolish heart. Verse 20 talks about cursing people. It says, furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, in your sleeping room do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound and a winged creature the matter will make the matter known. You've, ever, you've heard the statement, a little birdie told me. It's probably where it came from. Be careful what you say, because you don't know who's listening. You don't know where that's going to go and who that's going to get back to. And by the way, as believers, we should not be using negative language about other people, whether it's in private or in public. James tells us, right, out of the same mouth comes cursing and blessing. Right? One, out of the same mouth, you're, you're cursing a person made in the image of God, and then out of the same mouth, you're, you're praising God. He says, this thing, these things ought not to be, my brethren. So communication matters. A little bit of foolishness in these areas can spoil sound wisdom in our lives. Character matters, our conduct matters, and our communication matters. So we ought to give thought to these things in our life. Secondly, a little bit of foolishness can spoil effective leadership. Can spoil effective leadership. All of us, in one way or another, are leaders somehow, some way. Because leadership is influence. And we have influence in people's lives. Some of us, maybe it's a smaller group of people, maybe we have influence over. Others, maybe it's a larger group of people. Maybe for some it's not an official place or position or recognition of leadership. For others it may be. The fact of the matter is we all have influence, therefore we all are leaders in one way or another. Certainly as followers of Christ, we should be spiritual leaders among other people around us. And a little bit of foolishness can spoil effective leadership. Verse 4, and he you typically in this in this area, typically speaks from the negative to, to share something positive. Uh, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your post, your position, because composure allays great offenses. What we have here in verse 4 is the ruler losing his temper, while the one who is under that uh, headship, that rulership, that leadership, maintains composure. And proves themselves to be better than the one who's in charge, who loses their temper. And the, the, the assumption here is that the ruler loses his temper uh, um, not because it was warranted. The person didn't do anything wrong, but just flies off the handle. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, your respect for that person diminishes. And you can lose effectiveness as a leader. And so principle number one under this is an effective leader knows how to be calm. A pr an effective leader knows how to maintain control in a circumstance and not fly off the handle and not lose their temper. There is a time and a place to be angry. And Jesus, again, shows us that in the temple. 
Jesus wasn't out of control. Jesus responds to what's going on in the temple. They were preventing the Gentiles from being able to worship because all of this, this marketplace was going, in, uh, going on in the court of the Gentiles. The only place the Gentiles could come to worship God in Jerusalem. They couldn't go in any further into the temple. And they, were, they turned into a marketplace. And Jesus became angry because people were being prevented from coming to the house of God, the house of worship. It was righteous anger. It wasn't that he was out of control. He was completely in control. He knew what he was doing. And it was completely appropriate. An effective leader knows how. Knows how to be calm in a situation. Knows how to maintain control of themselves. Again, from the book of Proverbs, we see Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. And in Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We can diffuse a circumstance by gentleness and not keep it going. Secondly, we see in verses 5 through 7, Basically, what we see in these verses here is a ruler who elevates or promotes the wrong people. He says, I've seen folly set in exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I've seen slaves riding on horses while princes are walking like slaves in the land. We see an effective leader knows how to promote. An effective leader can evaluate character. And can make decisions and put people in positions of authority, positions of prominence, positions that have influence, who are worthy of that. We have in the scriptures an example of, of the folly of this. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon has just died and he has, he has handed over the, the authority as king in Israel to his son, uh, Rehoboam. And we read these words in 1 Kings 12, verses 1 through 11. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now it came about when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, that he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt while he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, again, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. They said this to him, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he had put on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Depart for three days and return to me. So the people departed. So basically the idea here is the people of Israel, they, they called this guy Rehoboam, who, who is a natural leader apparently. He had fled from Solomon because he was a, a threat against Solomon. Now that Solomon has died, the people said, hey, come on back because we need your, your knowledge and your, your leadership to help us. And so they come to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and they say, Man, we will serve you. We will continue. We will have you be our king. Would you lighten the load? Solomon 
had a heavy burden on us. And so Rehoboam says, well, give me three days to think about it. So in those three days, verse 6, Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was alive, the, the wise men in the land, saying, how do you counsel me to answer this people? And the elders spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, and they will serve you forever. Treat the people well, and they will serve you. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So, they said, so he said to them, what do you counsel to give what they to answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And the young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. And my father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So he forsook the wisdom of the, of the elders and he took the advice of the people his own age, the people who were his buddies, grew up with him. And what we read as we go on in that text is that the people basically said, we don't want you to be our king. And they walked away. And it's at that point that the kingdom was divided between the north and the south. One act of foolishness. He didn't know who he should promote to the position of authority in the kingdom who would give him advice. And it divided the kingdom. Effective leader knows how to promote. We don't need people who will agree with us. We need people who will tell us the truth. Tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. An effective leader will surround themselves with people who, who know what they're talking about, who don't always agree, but who can see things from a good perspective. Thirdly, an effective leader knows how to be responsible. Verses 16 and 17. Solomon says, Woe to the land! whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. It's almost as if he prophesied what his son will do after he dies. But blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. A lazy leader, like a lazy homeowner, will let the house fall apart. Verse 16, right? Uh, it, will, it will fall apart. I'm sorry. That, that, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm skipping ahead in my notes. An effective leader knows how to be responsible. The lad in verse 16 is incompetent and inexperienced. It's a child. It's a, a, a person that's too young to be in leadership. There were a few times in, in Judah's history where uh, the king was a child. But there were wise and godly people around him helping him make right decisions until he was old enough to make his own decisions. Those kings did well because they had good people around them. 
But you have someone making decisions that's incompetent and inexperienced. It's not good. Feasting in the morning is a, a, an image of lacking of self-control. First thing, they get up, and man, it's, what, what, what can I do for me? What, can I, what do I need? How can I consume, consume, consume? That's not good for a leader to, to look that way. But nobility, verse 17, a king of nobility is one who is experienced, one who, who knows the ropes, one who has been around this long enough to know what he is doing. And his princes eat at the appropriate time for strength, to keep his strength up, not for drunkenness, not for self, um, but to, to do what is right for the kingdom. So an effective leader knows how to be responsible with a leadership entrusted to him or her. And then fourthly, an effective leader knows how to be diligent. Verse 18, through indolence the rafters sag, through slackness the house leaks. And so we see that a lazy leader, like a lazy homeowner, will let the house fall apart. Right? Will not keep up with what needs to be maintained, diligently working to keep things appropriately working well. And then verse 19, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. Again, a lazy leader preoccupied with food and drink. Again, with, with what benefits themselves and they believe that just a little bit of money will take care of it all. Right? Just throw money at it and it will solve all of our problems. Rather than being diligent to make sure things are going well. So, a little bit of foolishness can spoil effective leadership. Thirdly, then, a little bit of foolishness can spoil profitable work. Verses 8 through 11. Dig a pit, you might fall into it. Knock down a wall, you might get bitten by a serpent. Quarry stones, you might get hurt. You chop down trees, split logs, you might be in danger. There is... There's always potential danger when you work hard. Talks about the serpent, verse 11, biting before being charmed. And, and uh, you know, we've all seen the, the, you know, these, these uh, videos of, a, uh, usually it's somewhere in India, right, where, where the person's playing a flute and the king cobra's up there and just kind of staring at him. And, and, and what I understand, there's something about the vibration of the music that, that causes the, uh, that kind of, not paralyzes, but mesmerizes the snake so that they are fixated upon that rather than upon striking. Uh, but if the serpent strikes before the charmer is able to get the music going, then what good is, what profit is there to the charmer. And so, so there's an inherent danger, right, to all these things. Obviously, accidents can happen, and they do, when you're working, when you're laboring. But when we take necessary precautions, we can greatly minimize, not necessarily completely avoid all accidents, but we minimize the potential dangers. So when you dig a pit, you know where the pit is. 
don't fall into it, right? He's not talking about what we see in the Proverbs, because in Proverbs it says he who digs a pit falls into it, and he rolls a stone, the stone rolls back on him. That's talking about a person who digs a pit to trap somebody in it. Solomon here is talking about work. You dig a pit, maybe for a, maybe you're digging a, a well. You're, you're working, you're doing something productive. But in doing that productive thing, there is inherent danger that goes with those things. Serpents would go and hide within the walls because the walls were made of stone or something cool. But then when you knock the wall down, those serpents come out. So be careful. If you're going to knock down a wall, know this. There might be a serpent there. So take cautious measures. So the principle is this. Work carefully, not fearfully. Because the opposite of working carelessly is to be so afraid that something might go wrong that you never engage in the work. If you say, well, if I dig a pit for a well, someone might fall into it, so let's not dig the pit. Well, then guess what? You don't have a well. And so work carefully. Take necessary precautionary measures. Don't be fearful because you'll never do anything. I remember being told when I was a young person that when you're weed whacking, you should probably wear protective glasses of some kind. No. Well, I remember one time when I was weed whacking, you know, because you're just, you're just chopping grass, right? It's just going this way. Well, sometimes you hit something that's not grass, like a stone. And I remember getting hit right here by something. And I thought, boy, that close to losing an eye. Now I wear sunglasses or some protective glasses, uh, something that will prevent my eyes from getting hit by something that can come up. See, just a little bit of caution, a little bit of precautionary measures can foil potential danger. And then we see in verses, uh, verse 10, if the axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. And we've all heard this principle. Work smarter, not harder, right? That's what this is saying. Little bit of, a little bit of work ahead of time to sharpen the blade will go a long way in your productivity. I have back issues today, not just because I'm tall, but because when I was younger, working construction, I didn't know this principle. And so when I pick things up, I just grab it and go instead of using my legs to pick things up. Because I thought that was macho. That was, you know, big and strong. You could pick things up and, and not, not use proper lifting techniques. Well, now I got a sore back a lot of the time. Every time I do something, my back starts reminding me, yeah, dummy, you didn't take care of me before. Um, and so... Work smarter, not harder. And it goes a long way to accomplishing the work that is before us. Just a little bit of foolishness can do great damage. And a little bit of foolishness in our spiritual lives can affect us in many, many different ways. Let me end by sharing a, a, a positive story of a choice that was made. Um, some of you may remember, if you've been at Cornerstone for some time, you may remember 
uh, Paul Hatmaker. He is the, was the president of Churches and Missions. He came and filled the pulpit for me at least once, maybe twice. Paul was a, a very, he, Paul passed away about, three, about two weeks ago. Um, he, had, he, had, uh, he was in his mid to late 90s. And, uh, he lived a very full life. Had served the Lord uh, in many ways. Uh, I think he pastored three, three churches and was a missionary for many years. He's the one that started churches and missions. Before Paul came to know the Lord as a young man, Paul, um, after going to college, Paul, Paul thought he might want to be a, a car salesman. He was, he was so relational, so, so good with people. He could convince people to do anything. And so he went to this car dealership to, to apply for a job. He pulled in the parking lot, and as he gets out of his car, he sees a couple standing in the parking lot looking at a car, contemplating, and he heard them talking about what pros and cons about. He walked over and sold them a car. And then he walked in for a job interview. Well, as you can imagine, he got the job. He was so good at what he did, he kept getting promoted in, in a Ford Motor Company to the point where after, and, and while he was there doing this, he gets saved. They had offered him a, a really lucrative job in, in the upper management and in, in the executive branch of Ford Motor Company. So he had a choice because he felt God calling him. Would he go and probably have, have, have been incredibly successful or go to seminary? Paul chose to go to seminary. And God used this man incredibly in the kingdom of God because of one choice. And I'm sure that was not an easy choice. A little bit of foolishness. One little decision can impact our lives greatly. And so I want to encourage you Let's ask God for wisdom each and every day because you have no idea what today may bring. You don't know what decisions or choices will lay before you that will have an impact in the way you live from that point on, the direction that your life goes, the, the opportunities that you may or may not have. Father, we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes and, and the reminder that, that this whole book is that we need to continue to keep an eternal perspective in life and decisions that are made, choices before us, and how we utilize and enjoy and work with the stuff of this life. Lord, our, our perspective will oftentimes make all the difference of whether or not we operate at times foolishly or whether we walk wisely and handle this stuff appropriately. Lord, we thank you for the challenge and the reminder. We do ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, give us insight, Put a check in our spirit when we're about to make a poor choice. 
keep us as your servant from making presumptuous errors. Help us look to, to you and trust in you as we walk this journey toward home. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, would you stand please as we conclude by singing Living for Jesus. Each day we have a choice to make. Are we going to live this 